Migration is a global phenomenon, but every world region has their particular migration needs and challenges. In order to get a full picture of the migration situation, we need to look at the regions and connect the dots from there. My name is Elizabeth Minkoff, and joining me today is Martijn Ploim, Director for Dialogues and Cooperation at ICMPD, who is supervising six ICMPD regions where we have 30 offices. Dear Martijn, great to have you here and a very warm welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here and happy to contribute to this podcast series. You're joining me now remote from our Turkey office and it has been a week since the earthquake and a few days ago you made the journey there. Can you share your impressions and what is the current situation on the ground? Thank you very much. Uh, I've been uh, here now since a few days meeting with uh, my um, colleagues in the offices in Istanbul and in Ankara uh, who have been very much affected uh, by, by the earthquake uh, and of course meeting with uh, the national authorities. All of them are working very hard to address the impact of the earthquake but everyone does so in a state of shock. We now know that more than 40,000 people have died, 80,000 people injured, uh, but it's also clear that this figure will multiply dramatically. Uh, even estimates go very, very high. Uh, I don't want to speculate, but uh, we will see in the, in the coming uh, weeks that this figure will be much higher than ever expected. And of course, it took place in a region where some 13 million people live, but also 1.8 million migrants live there. And many Syrians under temporary protections. Uh, there have been quite a lot of other migrants also living in that region. So the earthquake affected Turkish society, but also Syrians under temporary protection, especially. And that will have an impact now, and it will have an impact in the longer term. How is looking at ICMPD? How is the the office and the operations in the office affected at the moment? Well, what we have tried to do uh, initially is to, to provide uh, emergency support to, uh, to our partners, the Presidency for Migration Management, but also others. We provided some support to them. Now we are looking at how we can adjust the activities of the various projects that we are having to make sure that they um, can contribute to the functioning of the, the national authorities in delivering their services. Um, we are not a humanitarian organization. Uh, we, we did provide some, some small scale uh, support, but our aim is to, to make sure that the mid and long term, uh, the Presidency of Migration Management, the Director General for Pro Provincial Administration, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs can continue to do their work and do it in the, in the best way possible. And to also prepare them for the different scenarios with regard to internal displacement within Turkey, but also possible movements, for example, back to Syria, but also onwards to, to Europe. And then here, of course, there's a lot of concerns. There's a lot of speculation and we want to avoid contributing to the speculation. Many people, the fact that they lost their houses, they lost loved ones, uh, their first thought in their mind is not let's move to, uh, to Europe. Their first thought of their mind is to, to survive. Their first thought is to make sure that they can cope and to be in the, host, in the country of origin in your own country is, uh, offers the security that they need. So the first care is to make sure that people feel comfortable at home. 
Right. It's absolutely shocking indeed. Um, nevertheless, I would like to come back to the general topic of today's um, podcast, let's say. So it's important to understand that we set up our, our podcast prior to this um, tragedy. And um, the topic today is that we're talking about the different regions. And of course, we will come back to Turkey and Syria is one of the priority regions at ICMPD a bit uh, later on in a few minutes. But it would be great if you could give us a little bit of a general idea of how we at ICMPD see and understand regions and why migration in the regions or should be looked at something that happens in the regions in the first place. Thank you very much. First of all, uh, we record this uh, podcast roughly one week before the Uh, the one year since the, the invasion of Russia into Ukraine took place, which caused one of the biggest movements recorded uh, both within Ukraine as well as from Ukraine elsewhere. The war is continuing and we will come back later to the impact of that. But I think it's important to, 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 to realize that we are recording this podcast on a very specific particular circumstances. We have the earthquake in Turkey. We have uh, the horrible situation in Ukraine uh, where we need to uh, pay a special attention to. As ICMPD, we say we call ourselves a regional organization, a European organization, a regional organization. That doesn't mean that we don't work globally. We work globally. But migration to the largest extent takes place within regions, within West Africa, within the Med. Uh, within the Silkuts region, within Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and of course within West Balkan, Turkey region, or between these regions, from the Silkuts regions via West Balkan, Turkey to Europe. So we believe that while there is the Global Compact for Migration and other global frameworks, cooperation, solutions, approaches need a regional approach. And that's why we have established the organization the way we have, setting up a number of priority regions within which and we, we look for cooperation and approaches to address uh, various migration challenges and look for the opportunities that migrants migration can offer to migrants and to countries alike. You're dealing with countries like Ghana, like Kazakhstan, like Pakistan, like Tunisia. All countries are completely different and and have different uh, sort of um, challenges that they are dealing with how do you cope and how how many days uh, or uh, yeah how many days a year do you have to be on the road really how important is it for you to be also uh, on the ground i would i would choose the words cooperation and not dealing so we we are cooperating indeed with with uh, 70, 80 countries on, on a very regular basis uh, via the migration dialogues, which we support the secretariat, both between Europe, uh, West Africa, and Europe and East Africa, with Europe and the Silk Roots, and, and uh, uh, Europe and Central Eastern Europe and, and Central Asia, and as well as via numerous um, capacity building programs. Now, that, of course, makes you realize that there's a lot of differences between individual countries. Every country, like every migrant, basically has uh, individual stories um, and, and uh, realities. Uh, so the cooperation between Europe and Ghana, or between Niger and Nigeria, within Central Asia, uh, or between South Caucasus countries and Europe. So there's different constellations everywhere. They, they need a deep understanding of 
of, of the different uh, circumstances and realities and also the migration history and, and existing migration networks. As ICPD, we have very experienced staff in all those regions, in our headquarters. And for me, it's important, however, to go there to visit counterparts uh, roughly 100 and 120 days a year. I'm, I'm traveling to be able to also convey the messages that there is different expectations. There is not one fit for all solution, uh, but also to, to convey the message that there is actually many opportunities for close cooperation between individual European countries, between the EU and those countries, uh, but also between the countries in the region. And we see ourselves, let's say, as a facilitator of this type of cooperation. Now, if you're looking at um, the past experience of yours, 25 years roughly, if I'm, uh, if I'm right? Correct. I started uh, 1st of April uh, 1998 as an intern. As of 2017, you then became, you took on the current role that you have. And the goal was then to set up regional representations um, can you say a little bit more about uh, sort of ICMPD and how they dealt with this whole regionalization process and how you approached it? Indeed, when we decided to change the, the, the approach of ICMPD and, and to go deeper into the field and to set up regions, uh, the argumentation was like I described before, to, to have specialization and cooperation on, on regional level because we truly believe that that is where you can find uh, the best opportunities for facilitating cooperation, for helping countries to improve their capacity to professionalize the work that they are doing and to be the best partner both within that region as well as between that region and, for example, uh, uh, European and ICMD member states. So the whole thinking process was, was like that. If we, if we establish these regional offices, regional approaches, we will be better as an organization to deliver what we want to do, and that is helping our partners to do their work better by helping them to modernize, to professionalize, both partners within Europe as well as outside of Europe. And now speaking more uh, concrete, where are those hubs now and why are they set up in those places? Well, we have six identified regions. One is the Eastern Europe and Central Asia, covering basically Central and Eastern Europe and Central Asia. Uh, we have the Silk Roads regions, which covers countries like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Iran, Bangladesh, India, Sri Lanka. Um, we have uh, the Turkey Western Balkan uh, region, clearly what that covers. Uh, we have the Mediterranean, covering North Africa, Jordan, and, and Lebanon. Uh, we have the West Africa office, which is based in Abuja, covering the whole of West Africa, basically the ECOWAS region. Um, and then we have a Pan-African uh, program, which covers the cooperation between uh, Europe uh, and ICMPD and uh, the African Union Commission and, and uh, all the wider uh, African programs. And now all of these regions are publishing once a year the so-called ICMPD regional migration outlooks. That means they identify the key issues that will be relevant for each specific regions. If you were to look at the things that those regions have identified as a common problems or issues, what would come to your mind? 
Well, there is there's just quite a, a number of, of especially this year of, of common issues. There is the the question, of course, of increased prices, uh, inflation, and and but also linked in some regions to to food insecurity. There is the increased uh, realization of the importance of of global warming, uh, natural disasters, natural disasters like like the earthquake here, global warming, like. Uh, and, and, and the impact of that uh, leading to disasters, both slow running and emergency situations. The floodings in Pakistan are an example. Uh, but of course, the desertification and taking place in large parts of the Sahel, the droughts in, in different countries. So <clears throat> that's, a, that's a big impact which we see, which we see everywhere. Uh, but we also see other aspects like uh, new technologies, the, the impact of, of artificial intelligence, not only on, on uh, how we can do our work, but also on how people can get the information, how the work that migration ministries, ministries of interior use artificial intelligence to, for example, um, do refugee status determination. We see also this aspect. We see different situations in countries that... We can see as a reaction to to some of the the the, the, the trends that I just managed, that I just mentioned. Uh, on certain levels, you see a, a further nationalization of approaches. There is a uh, the, the, the international cooperation is is under threat uh, within the UN system. You have certain challenges, but also on on, on the regional level, you see that some countries rather would like to go for it alone. This, of course, is something that we need to counter, uh, especially with on a topic such as migration. Not the only topic, but especially a topic like migration. We have to work together internationally. There's always movement between countries. There's movement through countries. So international cooperation is essential, and, and, and we strive to, to support that continuously. And now if we are looking at those countries individually, we are now at the beginning still of the year, and... If you look at what has been sort of thought to happen in the beginning and now, is this something that, okay, I mean, the earthquake is quite obvious, something that was not foreseen, I guess. How about other topics, uh, maybe things that we don't necessarily have on the sort of daily European perspective agenda that happened in the regions that you think has already become relevant this year and has already started to drive new themes surrounding migration? Well, I'm not sure whether we should go already via the individual regions because it's different per region uh, where we can see there is, there is, like we expected last year, saw especially vis-a-vis -vis Europe, it, it's quite a, a drastic increase uh, in uh, the number of, of uh, asylum applications, uh, secondary applications, and we can expect that to continue this year. Uh, what we will see is, uh, in certain regions, an increase of, of migratory pressures because of the, 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 um, the, the livelihood problems that many people have, economic uh, situation in, in a number of countries. So, We see already some movements there, but again, I think that there is huge differences per region. So I think it's better we can look into uh, the individual regions and, and say, okay, what's happening there and then and be clearer what's happened. Let's do that. Um, you can pick and start from the region that you think is maybe most relevant at the moment. The question, which of course is is apart from the earthquake, we come to that later, is on everyone's mind, especially in, in Europe, Is of course the situation uh, in in uh, Ukraine, 
the, the, the invasion uh, by Russia into Ukraine has, has said has a huge impact obviously on, uh, on Ukrainians within the country, uh, pushed uh, millions of them uh, out. We had, for the first time ever in Europe, tested a new system uh, offering temporary protection to millions of Ukrainians, giving them uh, specific rights um, uh, in a very fast way. We should also look at the impact that the, the, the war had on, on movements from, for example, Russians, Russian citizens towards neighboring countries in the South Caucasus, in Central Asia. Um, also here, these movements, the, the Russians who left, left for many different reasons. Again, also here, we, we, it, it's both because they were against the war or because they just did not want to fight. Um, there is, there's many, many reasons, and that has, a, has had a major impact on the countries where they are now staying, positive as well as negative. Uh, it raised prices. Um, it created less labor opportunities for, for local population. Uh, many of them also, let's say, from Central Asia, South Caucasus, are not much inclined anymore to move to Russia. But it also has had a lot of positive inflow of, of, of human and financial capital entering into those, those countries. So there has been double effects in that regard. I would like to raise one particular issue of concern, <laughs> whether or not it can be called a, a migration issue, but, but it, it's the... Um, the abduction uh, and de facto movement of, of thousands of children uh, from Ukraine to Russia. Of course, this is something which everyone who is aware of it, and, and there is a, lot, a high level of, of frustration how little can be done against it. Uh, but of course, also here we have to, this is something that, that will be there for years to come and where we have to be able to see what the international community can do to, um, well, bring those children home. It would be interesting to, to, to look into this also from a migration perspective, how this was even possible. It's a human perspective, uh, a human rights perspective, a child rights perspective. Uh, there's, there's so many components of this which make this horrible. Of course, we can qualify this as, as, as trafficking de facto because children are being taken away against their will. And, and uh, that, that is something that we cannot do much Again, at the moment, but it's something that has to not fall off the radar and just be accepted as, aha, uh -huh, also that happened. So it's, it's from that perspective, I think we, we need to follow closely. From many perspectives, we need to follow closely what happens with the war in Ukraine. Uh, we have looked at a number of scenarios, depending on how the war develops, even if there would, let's say, be a rapid victory, what would that from, from, from Ukraine, would that lead to massive a return migration, what would be the impact, how can we prepare for that, will it be a long protracted continuous war like we have, what, like what we see now. Many scenarios are there, all of them will have different impacts on, on Ukraine and also on, on migration. We also have to look at not maybe always directly related impact uh, of the war, but it for sure has a contributing impact is, is on, on tensions between individual countries in Eastern Europe, Central Asia, whether that's in Central Asia or the South Caucasus, uh, where we have seen increase of tension because Russia's focus is very much now, of course, on, on Ukraine. We're very conscious about the situation in Moldova. Uh, we have seen the, 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 the resignation of the, of the government just last week. We hope that the country remains stable and, and, and pro-European in, in, its, in its government and that we can continue to, 
to support them. But again, we should not be losing sight of the importance of, of, of a stable uh, Moldova, also from a migration perspective. Of course, first of all, from a democratization and, and human rights perspective, but also from a migration perspective. Anything else that you think is relevant for, for Eastern Europe and Central Asia? Yeah, what, what I shortly mentioned, it's, it's the, the changing labor migration landscape. Many of the countries in Eastern Europe, Central Asia were dependent on either migration towards the Russian Federation or to Europe. And in, in both directions, this has become a little bit more complicated. First of all, because a large number of Ukrainian citizens are now in Europe and uh, doing jobs that maybe somehow other urban migrants would have been done doing from that region. Um, and secondly, it, it has become much less, let's say, obvious and attractive and sometimes even dangerous to go um, as a migrant worker uh, to Russia uh, and, and to work there. So also here, this, this has a major impact um, on, uh, uh, on the possibility for labor migration from those regions. Again, on the other side, we see that due to the sanctions and, and how they have been implemented, there is now much more trade going via individual countries in Central Asia and South Caucasus Uh, towards uh, towards Russia, we see new businesses being established by Russian citizens, which also offer employment for citizens in uh, in the region. So, I don't think it's balanced out, but uh, it, it's not just uh, black and white. There's a lot of gray space on the impact on migration. If you had to pick one headline for the Eastern Europe, Central Asia um, region. What would it be? I know it's quite challenging, but what we what what would be the headline for this year? The headline for this year is that we <laughs> that we hope to see peace and uh, and peace on Ukrainians' conditions, uh, Ukraine's conditions, to make sure that uh, people can go back to their country of origin, and that we make sure that that is not anymore uh, the reason why people are forced to flee their home. Now moving on to the next region, do you have anything specific in mind which you think is related? Otherwise, I think it would be uh, interesting also to look at the Silk Roots. Yes, well, uh, if we go uh, indeed to the, to the Silk Roots region, of course the, the, the story of, of uh, 2021 was the, the, the Taliban takeover uh, of Afghanistan, uh, the impact that had on the... Um, citizens of Afghanistan, uh, which were already many people were fleeing from the country. The situation in Afghanistan is, of course, dramatic. Uh, the, 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 the human rights economic situation is, is, is very, very bad. At the same time, also the relations between Taliban and the neighboring countries is, is of course, also challenging. We saw uh, the, 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 the attack in, uh, in Pakistan on the, on the mosque the, uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we have seen clashes at the border with Iran, uh, with Central Asian neighbors. There is, of course, uh, many Afghans uh, still trying to leave. But cynically enough, uh, the, the extreme dire situations have made it more difficult for people to leave because they just lack the money to pay the smugglers uh, to move. There is work that we are doing with both, uh, with especially with, with Pakistan, but also with, uh, with other countries. To, to see whether we can support the countries to host um, also the Pakistani refugees that they have. 
At the same time, we have seen the, the challenging situation that Pakistan had with the massive floodings uh, uh, last year and the impact it had on the Pakistani population. There is very limited opportunity for people from Silkut's region, maybe with the exception of India, uh, to uh, to have legal opportunity, migration opportunities, labor migration opportunities in in Europe. Uh, there is, of course, a lot of movement to the Gulf states, um, but that makes it the migration as a voluntary choice very often extremely uh, uh, challenging. We see also that the impact, of course, of the uh, the war in Ukraine and and the global uh, price rise has also created problems in many of the countries in the Circus region, whether we talk about Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan, Iraq, Iran, so they, all of them have been affected. And of course, we see uh, the developments and, and the, the, the situation in Iran, which also creates uh, enormous tensions in the country and uh, will also lead to maybe some longer term uh, uh, displacements from people who are uh, just fleeing uh, the, the, the oppression. But there are currently no legal pathways for them. I would never say there is no, but it's very limited. It's very limited legal pathways uh, available uh, under certain conditions. Student visa, some labor employment opportunities are there. That is broader. There is, of course, now a um, so valid for all regions in, in many European countries, but also elsewhere, a, a recognition that there is a labor shortage uh, in certain sectors and therefore we should try to focus on uh, also creating legal pathways of course here the challenge is the match between uh, uh, skills and education and labor market needs uh, and and this mismatched needs to be uh, needs to be addressed in order for this to be successful and this we talk about recognition of diplomas recognition of skills uh, we talk about language um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, there is there's multiple s s labor market sectors in Europe which are under pressure, whether it's healthcare or uh, the, the, the transition to the green economy. In all those areas, and many other aspects, in all those areas, we need qualified workers. And the question is, how do we match the demand and the offer? While at the same time assuring that you do not deplete the countries of origin of the people that they need to build up their countries. So there is, of course, creative ideas uh, ne uh, needed, uh, which are which exist. And I think uh, if you would say transition to green economy, the need of, of solar panels, uh, for example, both in, in Pakistan or in Nigeria and in the Netherlands and in, in Germany, can we not massively invest in skills development Uh, on this level in those countries of origin have circular migratory movements uh, which allow for this to, to grow and, and, and make create win-win-win situations. Again, we're not there yet. It's also a very politically sensitive story. So not all countries are open for this. We have heard in the last podcast that there are already um, a few agreements with India on the way. What's the status there? Well, with India, there is, there is of course, uh, some uh, agreements between individual countries, between Germany and India, between Portugal and India, and, and, and several others. It's, it's important that, that uh, these are used uh, wisely, uh, making sure that people get equal opportunities and that those programs are successful. 
Um, the failed programs always set bad examples and scare people away. So they need to be well prepared, well planned to make sure that we draw the right conclusions to get uh, this, this, this working. And we are working closely with, uh, with India and, and with individual European countries as well as with the European Commission to make sure that this cooperation uh, um, strengthens. Moving on to... To the Kia, I would like to go, um, if you don't mind, the, the impact of the earthquake. It's, it's well known that uh, there, is, there, were bef- some, there are some 4 million Syrians under temporary protection in Turkey, hundreds of thousands of, of labor migrants, uh, irregular migrants, refugees in the country, um, and many of them were living in the, the, the area hit by the earthquake. Just for comparison, this area is roughly as big as the Netherlands, Belgium, and Luxembourg combined, the size of Austria, basically, where more than 10 million, some 12 million people live, including 1.8 million uh, Syrians on temporary protection, living in cities, uh, in, uh, in camps, but most of them in cities. And of course, the earthquake hit at the worst possible time, uh, middle of the night, yeah. four o'clock in the morning, followed by a, a very heavy earthquake uh, a few hours later during the day. The scale is enormous. It will have a long-lasting multi-annual impact on Turkey and its institution. It will cause internal movement, displacement of people, Turks as well as uh, migrants. Turkey has allowed Syrians on a temporary protection, which normally were allowed to stay only in a certain province, to move to other provinces. So we see already that those who can and have the means moving uh, mainly westwards, north and westwards. We will, there's estimates that three to five million Turks will have to look for a temporary shelter elsewhere, creating, of course, tensions uh, in the new populations. They need to find housing, they need to find jobs, they need to find schooling, etc., etc., etc. Already before the earthquake, there was 10,000 uh, Syrians with special needs living in that region. All of these things has now just been made worse. We may need to make sure that international community, which was already very fast in its response for the emergency rescue, uh, to also ensure that there is generous contribution in the reconstruction of of Turkey and the offering of of shelter. Uh, We, as ICPD, are working very closely with the Presidency for Migration Management with the Director General for Provincial Administration, which takes care of uh, well the management of the work in the provinces, but also at the borders, as well as the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, to see how can they offer, how can we strengthen them in doing their work. And the needs are from providing shelter to food to uh, longer-term needs. You know, how can we support them in management of these flows? The challenges are enormous. But first and foremost, in the country, we of course see uh, the, the earthquake has hit also Syria very hard. Uh, the border area with with Turkey, uh, thousands and thousands of people are uh, have passed away there, died uh, in in the, uh, uh, after the, during the, the the earthquake. We don't know <laughs> at all the extent there. Uh, the, the figures are probably vastly underestimated. Turkey has made clear that they will not. We will, of course, support any kind of, of emergency aid which has to go into Syria, which creates challenges at the border. The, the, the roads are not, not, not well good, not, not good. 
border crossing points need to be established and managed. Um, you see Syrians who want to go back. They want to go back into Syria to help out there, to look for relatives and loved ones, to bury them, but also because they just have lost hope in Turkey. Now they go back uh, after first being displaced by the war, now by the earthquake. You see that there is some initial uh, uh, movement back into Syria. Talk about hundreds, not yet thousands of people, but there is people going back also. The long-term impact of potential migration, for example, into the into Europe, um, needs to be seen. Uh, it's not that there is now immediate need or interest of people now to, to leave Turkey and, and go to, to Europe. It's also not that the doors are open. That's, it's also not that it's just easy to, to walk now into Greece or Bulgaria onwards. But there's also not a big interest. The first thing is to find relief, to find shelter, uh, and to feel protected in the country uh, where you come from. The generosity of the Turkish population is enormous, of course, towards their own population. We see some tensions in some communities where there was the impression that some of the migrants got more support than the, the population there. That is being addressed very consciously to make sure that there is no feeling of, of someone, some people getting preferential status over others. There's some misinformation going around, but also here there's, there's active awareness against that, uh, on that and uh, there's actions against that. How difficult overall is the cooperation with uh, Syria for the international community? Well, the, the difficulty, of course, is that you uh, talk about, and it's, it's more complicated than I put it now, but there is, there is an area which is under control of the Syrian authorities and an area not under control of the Syrian authorities. And, and that area, which is not under control, is also mixed. So, of course, it is difficult for relief organizations to be present in both. So many relief organizations say, okay, I work in that area. The other have said we work in the other area. For the emergency aid, there is now, it's, it's, it starts to come unfortunately too late probably to save many lives under the, the, the rubble, but not too late to, 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 to bring relief, at least some relief to the people who live uh, under very difficult circumstances, extremely cold at the moment. Uh, there's no basic facilities, etc., etc. So some relief is coming. What we need to see is to what extent reconstruction will happen and who will start investing in reconstruction in a country um, uh, which has still uh, for a large part under the Assad regime and another part which is uh, not controlled uh, by a central government. So, very challenging. Now looking uh, again at the more practical issues also of uh, your work uh, in Turkey, Turkey. you're uh, running really many projects there. Will the projects continue the way they used to be or are you already planning to um, redirect funding towards other activities? Well, I mean, the funding as such is of course not coming, it's not coming from, from humanitarian funds. So what we did uh, after the, so it, it will not go into uh, emergency relief, but of course we are looking at every individual project, whether that is on uh, on protection, on, on return, on border management, on um, fight against trafficking, and, uh, migration development, many, many other projects that we're doing. We are having a large program supporting uh, social inclusion of, of, of Syrians, so which is a small entrepreneurship program. 
all of those will have to adjust their activities. Um, we have hundreds and hundreds of partners who received uh, grants from us living in that area uh, via EU funding. Um, we, of course, are trying to reach them and try to work with them how they can restart their business, strengthen their businesses. Um, uh, maybe we can look into alternative ways of making sure uh, that we can do but we are now making the assessment every individual project how we can adjust it and uh, in a way that we can contribute to uh, to the work that we need to be doing uh, in, in turkey that's very very challenging i i believe anything else on turkey that uh, turkey that you think is important to man uh, mention no i think because otherwise i fall into uh, i repeat myself I think what is, of course, important is the cooperation uh, along the whole route, so also in, in the Western Balkans. There, of course, we have seen quite some uh, discussion last year uh, on alignment uh, of, of visa policies, for example, with from Serbia with uh, the EU uh, visa lists. That is happening or has happened by now. Uh, visa, Serbia has tightened its visa regulations which might curb some of the of the regular flows via the Western Balkan routes. At the moment, uh, the, the, the challenge is, is in particular to, to support the national authorities in strengthening, modernizing, professionalizing their migration management capacities. Of course, many of the migrants who travel via the Western Balkans entered the Western Balkans via an EU country, via Bulgaria, via Greece, and they want to travel onwards to other EU countries. So, of course, this, this creates a very particular situation which needs uh, different forms of cooperation of those countries with the EU asylum agency, with Frontex, uh, with us and with others to make sure that we, you know, we take that particular location and situation into consideration when working with them on different areas of migration management. Okay, you've already mentioned um, routes. When we uh, think of uh, major irregular migration routes, um, also the Mediterranean route comes to mind. So maybe that's also a good opportunity to look at what's happening in the Med region in 2023, presumably. Yeah, so let, let's approach the Med region also from the perspective of, you know, the existing migration relationships that we are, that, that, already existed with those countries. Many of the North African countries, but also Jordan and Lebanon, have large uh, diaspora communities in Europe. Legal migration, family formation, uh, family reunification, labor migration, a long history uh, exists uh, uh, between Europe uh, and uh, the partner countries in, uh, in the Mediterranean, which are to a large extent, very positive. At the same time, of course, there is uh, quite some transit migration via um, the Mediterranean, very often under very uh, dangerous uh, circumstances. We just now, exactly yesterday, uh, another boat with, with uh, over 70 uh, migrants were missing. Uh, so we see constant dramas um, uh, on, on, this, on the Mediterranean where people lose their life. Our approach in the Mediterranean is that uh, all those countries are key partners in both 
migration governance with regard to their own citizens or diaspora, but also with regard to the management of, of irregular flows, uh, but also in offering protection. So uh, we say uh, we, we have started initiatives to professionalize and modernize the capacities uh, of our partners in that region. Uh, this means, in, for example, that we have established a training institute uh, in Malta, a fully certified a training institute where we train trainers from those countries on specific topics related to migration governance. This can be document security or general migration governance, uh, but also adult training, which means that there is a we can offer certain standards, guarantees that the trainings are delivered according to the highest educational standards. It's, it's registered in the European um, system, so we can make sure you, can, you, even get, you get your points. And these are aimed at uh, professionals that work in, in the field of migration, right? Yes, exactly. So we, 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 we target particular groups of, of professionals who will then get certified training and can also themselves if they are educated as trainers, deliver trainings, uh, 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 trainings which are again certified. So the, the trainees will get a certified diploma. Um, this helps us in, in the professionalization uh, of, of these agencies. And of course, at the, at the same time, we should also invest in the modernization. Modernization, always people think this is just investing in, in, in border management, which is partly um, uh, important but it's also investing in the modernization of migration governance agencies, modernization in standards, human rights standards, modernization in procedures, um, making sure that we, the, the, the migration management authorities in those countries deliver services according to the highest standards, uh, meaning that they can process status, can offer status determination according to higher standards than, than has been done in the past. Now, looking again at the 2023 outlook, apart from the training center, which is a great and positive development, um, generally, is there also an overarching theme uh, applicable to this area? Well, there is there is one overarching theme, and of course, that's the rising cost of living, which is has different aspects and different impacts in different countries. But, you know, we, we see that this... The economies in uh, some of the countries are, are badly affected. Egypt and Tunisia. Uh, we have, of course, the security situation in um, in Libya. Uh, we see also the the, the pressure on, on Lebanon, which, of course, has uh, had to uh, deal with multiple uh, crises over the last years of different or nature. We have Jordan, which is still hosting a large population uh, of refugees, just like uh, Jordan. Uh, sorry, like like Lebanon from Syria. So there is combined with uh, increased prices, uh, high high inflation rates. This of course creates different forms of pressure. This does not necessarily need to lead to the conclusion that this will be a massive increase in migration, but it does increase certain pressures. We have people who are highly higher educated. Uh, but have less opportunities at home. And of course, those will start uh, looking for opportunities at home. Legally, uh, many of them, but uh, but not always. Right. And if we move uh, now to our um, other African regions, Pan-Africa. Well, if uh, if we would like maybe first go to, to, uh, to West Africa, 
Um, here uh, we see that uh, there is there's a number of uh, of of, of crises developing. Uh, we of course have have had a number of, of coup d'état uh, in 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 West Africa. Uh, we have the insecurity, for example, in Burkina Faso, uh, which is which is pushing people around. We have potential of of uh, extremists uh, trying to disrupt uh, the the. Um, democracies in quite a number of West African countries. We have the elections in Nigeria uh, in the coming weeks, two rounds which are coming up. Uh, depending on the outcome and the handling of the outcome, the acceptance of the process, this might or might not lead to, to further um, unrest. We see, of course, that there is uh, quite a number of uh, this is the high prevalence of human trafficking in the region via Nigeria and to Niger and, and, and then onwards. So we have to also here be very conscious about the, the, the situation in the region. Most of the migration, both forced and voluntary, takes place within West Africa. So there is uh, lots of movement between the different countries to Nigeria, to Côte d'Ivoire, uh, uh, from Senegal to Senegal, etc. So there is, there is a lot of movement in the region. Of course, it's, it's the ECOWAS region. Um, there is some potential spillover uh, in, in, in other regions in, in percentage-wise fairly limited towards Europe in absolute numbers. Of course, it's, it's, it's quite high numbers. Um, but again, compared to, for example, Asia, the number of migrants from West Africa is, is, is of course, lower uh, in, in absolute numbers. Also because the route they have to take is, of course, uh, much more complicated. And moving to the last uh, of your regions. If we look at Africa itself, uh, Africa as a whole, there are cooperation focuses mainly on uh, the support to, to migration dialogues. Khatoum process where we bring European countries together with East African countries and the Rabat process where we bring European countries together with West African countries. Here for us, it's, it's very important to keep, uh, to support the respective chairs of those processes in, in keeping certain topics very high on the agenda, whether that's the fight against trafficking, uh, whether that is the impact of global warming. We always try to, to, to facilitate, you know, this regional cooperation to get to create understanding via those dialogues to make sure that we keep the international migration diplomacy going, informal and formal dialogues and contexts are in the end, let's say, the oil in the machine. Uh, many people talk about the migration dialogues, which like we also have towards the east via the Budapest and Prague processes, as, yeah, it's talk shops. First of all, that's not true, <laughs> because there's a lot of important experiences and knowledge and insights shared, but there's also a lot of networks being established. So if we would only have these dialogues, yes, it would lead to some improvement. But if you combine those dialogues and the conclusions of the dialogues, with targeted capacity building and institution building cooperation, uh, you can really make migration on a multilateral and a bilateral level uh, function much better. This was the kind of a perfect closing already. Uh, we've talked for almost an hour. Dear Martijn, 
it was extremely insightful and we could only touch upon very uh, general and I would say also shallow uh, topics this time because we had to cover yeah half of the globe basically that is um, under your directorate wishing you good luck also for 2023 lots of challenges uh, coming your way uh, indeed many challenges uh, also many opportunities I still hope that we can see progress in facilitating uh, multilateral and bilateral partnerships, true partnerships, listening very carefully to the needs of all the partners involved in these discussions, that we look at labor market opportunities, labor migration opportunities, skills development, all of these aspects uh, are, are essential to focus on to, let's say, the, the, the other forms of migration management, uh, migration governance, as I would like to call it, um, uh, that, that are needed. Uh, I think there's many things that we are not yet aware of which will unfortunately probably happen this year but uh, yeah let's keep the hopes up thank you very much joining me today was martin ploim icmpd director migration dialogues and cooperation today we learned that migration is complex and that each region has their particular challenges even though many issues are interconnected and many thanks for being with us today and for tuning in and see you next time Stay up to date on ICMPD's activities and visit our website icmpd.org, sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media.